Hello and welcome to Punch a Hole in the Wind, a look at some of the great thoroughbred racehorses who have graced our racetracks all around the world over the last century or so. I'm Ollie Hine, and it's great of you to join me on this exciting trip down memory lane. My aim is to both remind you of some of your heroes from years gone by, but also to introduce you to some others whom you may not be so familiar with. We're going back to the war years this time, and to the austere days of horse racing in England during that dark period. But one filly, who was basically as mad as a box of frogs, lit up the scene by also being brilliant and having a royal owner to boot. Her name was Sun Chariot. War is miserable, and World War II was as awful as any. Putting on horse races was hardly a priority for the governments of the world, yet somehow they found a way. Options, however, were necessarily limited. In England, as on the continent, those racecourses that hadn't been damaged by bombs were requisitioned by the armed forces as excellent substitute airfields. There were a few exceptions, and one of them was the largest racecourse in the world, Newmarket. And this was where all of the country's Triple Crown races needed to be held until normality once again returned. Several horses made their mark there, but none more so than Sun Chariot. When discussing her at the time, all experts were in agreement about two things. First, she was utterly mad. Second, she was quite, quite brilliant. But there was an extra angle to her that thrust her into the limelight. She was owned by King George VI. In fact, it was strictly speaking the national stud that owned her and loaned her out to the king, but to the adoring public, this was a mere technicality. She was a royal horse and should be treated as such. To the shy, stuttering king, doing his level best during those dark, consequential days to instill warmth, solace and hope in the face of limitless horrors, she became a beacon, if not of hope, then of distraction. When she reached two, the monarch sent her to the Beckhampton stables of one of his trainers, Fred Darling. Darling's success and brilliance as a trainer was unparalleled in English racing. He annexed championships and records as a matter of course, and could prepare a horse for a specific race like no other, although it was also noted that he had no real affection for any of them. By all accounts, he was a genius when dealing with the equine form. What he couldn't do, however, was people. To call him cold was to be generous to ice. He deliberately shunned any form of human friendship, but didn't stop there. He actively discouraged all those connected to his yard, lads, jockeys, grooms, to have any form of social interaction either. Enter Sun Chariot, with all her naughty and unpredictable behaviours. In stark contrast to her charming and lazy father Hyperion, the tiny Epsom Derby winner turned supersire. Sun Chariot initially refused to be trained, and Darling was on the cusp of returning her to the stud in disgust. It was largely thanks to a groom called Warren that she didn't, as he seemed to find a way to get her to comply. He proceeded to ride her in her work at home, and finally it dawned on them that when she put her mind to it, she was something special. She was also growing into a real beauty. Not that Darling would have cared. It came as little surprise, therefore, when she won her first race at Newbury quite easily. Ridden in that first year by Harry Rag, 
because stable jockey and champion Gordon Richards was injured all year. She won in a canter and moving away from the rest of the field. Richards, though, had heard all about the unhinged filly and managed to put a bet on her from hospital. Perhaps in an attempt to please the regal owner, Darling next entered her in the Queen Mary stakes, which usually formed part of Royal Ascot. Even over an inadequate five furlongs, she trotted up, and that was when plans and dreams reached the next level. One of the top end-of-year races in England for two-year-olds remains the Middle Park Stakes, now open only to colts, but then open to fillies too. It was very rare for trainers to even bother entering fillies into it, yet Sun Chariot not only ran, but she won going away by three lengths from Ujiji. Behind them was Watling Street, who would win the following year's Epsom Derby. No filly had won the race since 1921. The British public unquestionably now had a heroine to rally around. What they remained largely unaware of, however, was her temperament, which if anything became even more of a time bomb the following year. By now, Richards was fit again to ride, and was desperate to finally get a chance to see what she could do. Their partnership started ignominiously. With the target being the 1,000 guineas, Darling chose a six-furlong warm-up race at his local track of Salisbury, often seen as a tough but fair racecourse to get horses back into the groove of racing. Yet there was nothing fair about Sun Chariot's behaviour that day, even with the godly skills of Richards aboard. He tried to be boss, and she was having none of it. She steadfastly refused to take hold of the bit and deliberately tried to shake him off. It was her first defeat, and also her last. There was much apprehension, therefore, when she lined up for the first classic of the season. Yet perhaps the only thing more infuriating than a horse that always behaves like a punk is one that only does so on certain unpredictable occasions. Aside from swishing her tail violently, she decided to try and charged past the field to win effortlessly by four lengths. The king, for good measure, also won the 2,000 guineas with Big Game, also trained by Darling. The most shameful moment of her life, though, followed in the run-up to her next assignment, the Epsom Oaks. With the two royal horses favourites for the upcoming classics, the king and his consort, the future Queen Mother, decided to descend upon Darling stable and watch their thoroughbreds in action on the training grounds. Big game was fine. Sun Chariot absolutely disgraced herself. In a stultifyingly petulant mood, even by her own exacting standards, the head lad on her back decided to give her a smack. Sun Chariot bolted off the course and ran headlong into a neighbouring ploughed field. Once there, and for reasons known only to her lunatic self, she sat herself down on her knees, and according to all those present, proceeded to roar like a bull. Oh, to have been a fly on the king's lapel to witness his reaction to this Pythonesque behaviour. Darling was apparently mortified, although it's hard to see how anyone could tell. Her second most dreadful moment happened in the Oaks itself. The saving grace this time was that it was coupled with one of the most astonishing performances in a classic race in European history. At the start, like a toddler after too much sugar, she was all over the place and ruined three attempted starts. At the fourth try, the starter had rightly had enough and just let them go. Sun Chariot immediately flew off to the left and then stopped. Richards recounted later that the field had gone fully a furlong by the time he had gone 50 yards. 
to the left, and Richards was never one to exaggerate. Yet only then did she decide to play ball, and, incredibly, over the next mile, she caught them up, making up an untold number of lengths. Mere mortal horses would have collapsed at this effort. Yet somehow, Sun Chariot hit the front a furlong from home and held on to win by a length. Richards, with sorcerer-eyed wonder, unsurprisingly called it one of the most amazing performances I have ever known. A beaming King George led his filly into the enclosure, perhaps still unsure of the incredible performance she had just put up, and briefly the country forgot its woes. Yet there were still grumblings in some elements of the public that wartime racing felt frivolous, never more so than when 50,000 people had attended the previous year's derby at Newmarket. Whilst this offered an insight into these clearly austere times, it perhaps also illuminated the occasional British habit of deliberately not wanting to enjoy oneself, or not letting others do so. Others felt rallying round the king's horse was the best cure. To that end, it was now inevitable that Sun Chariot would try for the filly's triple crown by running in the St. Ledger. It was to be her last race, and in her own version of appeasement, she behaved, meaning that victory was an easy formality. In scintillating style, she came from last to first, and won by three lengths from Watling Street, who had beaten Big Game to victory in the Epsom Derby. This ledger performance made plenty of folk believe that this one-off filly would likely have won the derby itself, given a chance. With little else to prove, the king decided to retire her, and she bred seven winners, including two by bid game. Richards it was who recalled in his memoirs, she was a machine, and a character. I've a few grey hairs and she gave them to me. Equally, he asserted that, she was probably the greatest racehorse I've ever come across. And coming from a 26-time champion jockey, it's a statement that's hard to ignore. But then again, ignoring Sun Chariot was the last thing you wanted to do. To find out more about Sun Chariot and other greats from the past, check out my book, Punch a Hole in the Wind, out now and available online and in bookshops. Next time, we'll go to a different part of the world, and explore the exploits of another great horse from another era who could punch a hole in the wind. But until then, this is Ollie Hine signing off and saying thank you for listening.